The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. I'm going to start the sermon by telling you how I'm going to end this sermon. At the end of this sermon, there will be a call. I will ask two groups of people to stand up. We will have current global partners, that is those who have been already sent by us, Second, nurture program people, that is those who are being prepared to be sent out by us. I'm going to have you stand. And in standing, what we're saying is that you're recommitting yourself to the call of Jesus, embracing it again, trusting Him again. And then I'm going to speak to a third group of people. And that is those who will be experiencing, sensing a fresh sense of stirring to global missions. I'm not just going to ask you to stand up, but come up and stand up at the front that we could know you and pray for you. We believe that the Lord Jesus is alive. He's reigning from heaven. And he's still calling, still sending. And so, there's going to be no guilt trips, no gimmicks, just a text that we will read in a moment, and then we will pray for the Lord Jesus to speak with Christ-exalting wisdom so that we know what to do. And then praying that he would give Christ-exalting courage to do it. So the text is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. I'll read it, and then we'll pray. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you ask us to ask you, and that's what we're doing. You don't say the the harvest is plentiful, and the laborers are few. So, let's go. You don't say that. You say, so ask. Ask. Ask the Lord of the harvest that He would send laborers into His harvest field. Lord of the harvest, we call to You now asking you to speak, asking you to call, asking you to send. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what we see in these two verses right at the beginning of the book of Acts. We see three points in these two verses, and they go as follows. We see first Luke's reference to the the first book, So we're going to see that. 
And then we're going to see the, the watershed moment in verse 2. And then we're going to see the, how the work continues at the end of verse 2. And these three things are like three puzzle pieces that together give us the, not only the point of these two verses, but the point of the book of Acts. So here's what we're going to see. Number one, look at his reference to the first book, verse one. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, the first book is a reference to the gospel of Luke. Luke was a physician. He was a traveling companion of the apostle Paul in the book of Acts, we see. And he's referring to the gospel that he wrote, which also makes reference to Theophilus. Luke chapter one, verses three and four. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, we're gonna have a whole sermon on Theophilus next week and who he is and why that matters, especially for Acts. But at this point in the sermon, I wanna zero in on one amazing, wonderful word that I think puts the entire book into perspective. And it's that little word, began. Look at it again in verse one. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Every word matters. Every word is breathed out by God, and this little word is so important because began implies a process. It, it implies that there was a beginning and there's a continuation. And here, Luke wants us to see that the gospel of Luke is only what Jesus began and that Acts is what Jesus continues. Now here's why that is just so, so important. In popular opinion sometimes, we hear this title, Acts, and you don't know what to put after it. Is it Acts of the Apostles? Is it Acts of the Holy Spirit? Now both of those things are right. We do see the apostles at work in the book of Acts. We see Peter and James and John and Paul, and definitely we see them active. But we don't want to overemphasize the, the human agency of this work and underemphasize the divine agency at work. They're doing these things through the Holy Spirit. But in both of those, Acts of the Apostles or Acts of the Holy Spirit, you miss what Luke wants you to see. That's not the way that he sets up the book of Acts. He wants you to see that Luke, unlike what some people say, Luke is not like, here's the story of Jesus, and Acts is, here's the story of the church. Luke wants you to see in setting these things up together that Luke and Acts 
are all about Jesus. It should be called the Acts of Jesus because he sets it up by saying these are two successive stages of the ministry of the same Jesus. That Luke, here Jesus comes from heaven to earth and it's about his ministry here on earth, but Acts, Jesus goes from earth to heaven and now it is his ministry from heaven. Luke, his ministry on earth, acts his ministry from heaven. He's still alive. He's still working. He's still calling. He's still building his church. That's what you're supposed to see. It's the acts of Jesus himself. In other words, the gospel of Luke is what Jesus began, and the book of Acts is what Jesus continued. Now, we've got to dig a little deeper into this two-stage ministry of Jesus. What Jesus did in his ministry on earth, what Jesus is doing in his ministry from heaven. How does Luke help you see that this is the point? Indeed, we're going to see in verse 2 now the watershed. That if the gospel of Luke is what Jesus began, and if the book of Acts is what Jesus continues, we're going to see now the watershed moment that brings them both together. What is the point of of unity, of connection? Verse 2. Sets it up in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. I wonder, I wonder if you were to try and identify kind of the the hinge of history, the watershed moment that everything is moving towards and everything is flowing from, I wonder what you would say. Would you say, oh, it's the death of Jesus? Everything's building to the death of Jesus and flows from it. Or the, maybe it's the resurrection of Jesus. Everything is building towards that flowing from it. You, you would be wrong. Because the day that Luke wants to point to in the Gospel of Luke, everything moving towards and in Acts, everything flowing from is the ascension. Look at it, I'm not making it up. Until the day when he was taken up. This is everything to Luke. And if we miss it, we're going to miss the point of the entire book. So, for example, I I want to show you that this is everywhere in Luke and Acts. For example, let's just take Luke chapter 9, verse 51. In Luke 9, Jesus has fulfilled his ministry throughout Galilee of the Gentiles. He's now shifting. He's in Samaria. He's been in Judea and Samaria. But now he's heading to Jerusalem. And what is he going to do there in Jerusalem? Most of the gospel writers 
present, it's going to be his death climaxing in his resurrection. But already in chapter 9, Luke wants you to see, oh, there's, there's a day that this is all building towards. Luke 9, 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up. Not to die, not to rise. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, then he set his face to Jerusalem. When we think of Jesus going to Jerusalem, we think of his death, we think of his resurrection, we ought to think, if we're gonna understand Luke Acts, we ought to think of his ascension. Let me be explicit. When I say that there are clues everywhere in Luke Acts, I, I mean it. Not just in individual verses, but it's built into the very structure of Luke and Acts. Those of you who are regular downtown attenders, you got the, the pastor email, and you, you saw this structure here because I wanted to get you ready for it. That what we have in Luke-Acts is a unified structure with parallel pairs. He begins in Luke by showing you the birth of Jesus in the context of Roman rule, and he names the Roman rulers. He ends Acts with the Apostle Paul, who is in the context of Rome, even heading to Rome, and you see these Roman rulers. Then you see in Luke-Acts, you see Jesus at work in Galilee of the Gentiles paired with Paul going to the Gentiles and even the ends of the earth. And then further in the middle, you see Jesus in Judea and Samaria. Actually, the order is Samaria, then Judea, where in Acts, you see the gospel going from Judea to Samaria. Then you see Jesus in Jerusalem, and you've got the church in Jerusalem, and smack dab in the middle, you've got the ascension of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus. Why? What Luke Acts is trying to show you in its very structure is that all history moves to the ascension and then flows from the ascension. I just hope you see how relevant and important this is when we talk about global missions. Global missions does not come, does not come from people who are type A personalities, self-starters, kingdom planners, strategic thinkers. It doesn't come from that. It comes from the risen, reigning Lord Jesus, sending, calling, choosing. It's all flowing from that. The high king of heaven is the focus of global focus. Not you, not your sense of what should I do. It's Jesus. And this means so much when we want to talk about our cultural moment. Let's just tighten the screw a little bit right now. When it comes to our current cultural moment in 2020, we all know, in case you've been comatose, 
We all know that the election is on Tuesday. We all know it. And we all know that it's important. We all know that there are far-reaching implications from it. But we ought not to act as though it's essential. Important? Yes. Essential? No. When you read the book of Acts, what ought to be so clear to you is that you will never get the impression that the center of power and the spread of the gospel and the building of the kingdom is directly dependent upon any earthly ruler. Doesn't matter if it's the emperor in Rome, doesn't matter if it's the, the city leader, doesn't matter if it's a, a president, a prime minister, a czar, a tribal chieftain, doesn't matter. The spread of the gospel is not ever directly dependent upon any earthly ruler or place of power. Doesn't matter if it's Rome, doesn't matter if it's DC or London or the Kremlin or wherever. You never see that. In fact, if you look at the strategy of the book of Acts, here's what you'll never see. You will never see the church trying to get, as their strategy, the right ruler in power. Why? The right ruler is in power. That's the point of the book of Acts. He's already risen. He's already reigning. We're not trying to get him elected as Lord. He is Lord. And all of history flows from that. And if the church wants to make this election an apocalyptic deal, then you insult the Lord Jesus because everything flows from him. And the church of all people on the planet need to get it. There is a stability and a solidarity that comes to the church when we see it's all coming from the ascension of Jesus. Glory, glory. We have no other king but Jesus, Lord of all. Raise the anthem. Our loudest praises ring. We crown him Lord of all. We don't elect him Lord. He is Lord. Crown him with many crowns. But it's not just that the ascension shows us the difference between Jesus and every earthly ruler. The ascension also shows us the difference between Jesus and every other religious founder. So we talk about global focus and we talk about the world religions and where the gospel needs to spread. Isn't it so different to see that what sets Christianity apart, according to John Stott, is this. Other religions regard their founder as having completed their ministry in their lifetime. Christianity says Jesus only began his. This is so important. If you just take what we talked about last week when Afshin Ziafat was here, reaching Muslims, Islam is going to say that both Jesus and Muhammad were prophets. And they're going to say that they completed their ministry at the end of their life. 
And yet Christianity is going to say, yes, Jesus clearly was a prophet, but more, much more. What did he do? Yes, his words and actions did point to God, but unlike every other religion, where the founder of the religion comes and says, here's the way to God. Here's the the things that you do. Here's the prescription. Do this and do this and do this and you'll be right with God. Jesus didn't come to show a way to God like that. He came and said, I am the way. I've done the commandments in your place. I've done everything for you. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way of salvation. He doesn't come and point to a way. He points to himself. How different. So much so that in the book of Acts, you see salvation is all wrapped up in Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no other name because there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. How different, how it insults Jesus to be compared to other religious founders. No, no. Jesus, at the end of his life on earth, only began his ministry, and that's why the book of Acts has no proper close. New chapters are being added all the time as he continues to build his church. We must see that. So verse two, point three. We've seen the first book. Luke was all about what Jesus began to do and teach. We've seen the watershed moment till the ascension, now everything's gonna flow from that. But how? If Jesus, we're talking about his ministry from heaven, how does he do his ministry from heaven on earth? See it at the end of verse two. How does his ministry continue? Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. In other words, this is all about Jesus. First book is about what Jesus began. Watershed moment is the ascension of Jesus. Now we see that he continues his ministry by sending his spirit through the work of his apostles whom he chose. It's so clear in the original language. He was not taken up until after he first gave instructions to his apostles by the Spirit. He wasn't taken up until that happened. In fact, in the original language, it makes it so clear. Let me me read it. This is the way you would read it in the original language. Until the day when having instructed his chosen apostles through the Holy Spirit, he was taken up. He doesn't want you to see he was taken up and then something happened. No, before all of that, what he did is he instructed his chosen apostles through the Holy Spirit, then he was taken up. 
In other words, before the ascension, he made all the preparation. All the instructions were given to his apostles. Now, the word apostle, let's just see it. We're going to see a lot more about what, what makes for an apostle, how Jesus set this up in verses 3 to 5. Let's just look at the two words that are here in verse 2, apostles and chosen, those two words. Apostle, what does it mean? The disciples are first called apostles in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Before that point, they were disciples. What's the difference? Mark 6, 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So Luke is about what Jesus did and taught. But in the Gospels, he did send out the disciples for ministry, and he gave them authority, gave them the ability to minister, and they would come back and report what they did and taught. At that point, they become apostles. Apostles are somebody who's sent, chosen, called, sent, they become an official ambassador. They become a representative. And Jesus is saying here, Luke is saying, that these disciples are apostles. They're being sent. They understand that his ministry will continue through them. He sends and he equips by the Holy Spirit. Now, it's essential to see that if his ministry is going to continue, it's going to continue through those that he chooses. In other words, we cannot, as we hear and think about a call, we can't just automatically hear, here's the need, okay, let's go. You're not supposed to look at yourself and say, I got this, all right, I see the need, I don't see people stepping up, here I go. That would be wrong. Jesus has to call, Jesus has to send, Jesus has to equip. But it would also be wrong, other ditch, not just self-reliance, but some kind of self-doubt that might happen as you're trying to discern the calls. You look at yourself again and think, I could never do that. I could never do what Jesus asked me to do. And here you have to learn that he doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. You, no one can look at these disciples at the beginning and say, they're ready. Jesus had to equip them. And still today, what happens in the book of Acts among those who were not his original disciples? How did Jesus continue to build his church? How did he continue to send different people? Acts chapter 13, verse 2. When they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Notice it's not just people deciding to go. It's people being set apart 
and the Holy Spirit saying, I've, I've called them for this. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, that Jesus sends as the King of heaven. The Holy Spirit is not the King of heaven. It's Jesus choosing, calling, sending by the Spirit. And as his church worships him, as the Lord is on the throne, we recognize that as we pray and worship, and some of us have been fasting for this, that this is what he keeps doing. He keeps identifying, saying, yes, most of you are called to stay. Not everybody left Antioch. It was just Barnabas and Saul. But Barnabas and Saul did not just randomly hear some story and say, we better go. It was as they were worshiping. It was as they had given over their entire hearts, open to the Lord of heaven. And there's a moment when he says, I've called you. It's time to go. That's what this moment is. It's a moment where in worship, with our hearts open, we listen for the call of Jesus and surrender to it, submit to it. And there's no first class and second class citizens of the kingdom of heaven. It's not as if those who go are first class and those who stay behind are second class. No, no, no. There's, there's only obedient or disobedient. And that's the call right now. He's, he's going to call many of you, most of you, to stay and be senders. But some, even this day, not, not just you here that I'm looking at, I'm looking at you at home. Some of you, he's going to say, set apart. You're set apart. And there's a stirring that will happen. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray. We're going to move into communion. And we're going to sing that Jesus has all authority. And then I'm going to come back up and we're going to do our call. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, just forbid it that there would be any, any gamesmanship, any artificial sense of pressure. May it be all driven by the Spirit, flowing from heaven, where Jesus sits reigning. Have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 
5-5-4-1-5. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.